Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Frida Poli, founder and CEO of Pymetrics. Frida, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Al. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Now, you are normally based in New York City, yeah? Yep. And you're not there right now, however. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, uh, my fake background is not indicative of where I am. But I, yeah, we moved out of the city. We actually, we moved out of the city about a month ago. We, Pymetrics became work from home in early March just because we were, my, my parents actually live in Northern Italy. And so we were tracking that fairly closely, probably sooner than most people that are living in the US. And so I thought we should start physical distancing sooner rather than later. So we've been out here for about a month. So it's been very interesting working, living, homeschooling and doing other things all in this one home. It's all blur, like days start and end and you know, who knows where they go. And then the weekend you're still here. And it's just, it's yeah. been, it's been funny, but it's been nice. I mean, I think that it's been really nice. I have three kids, three daughters, and it's been really nice to be able to spend, you know, more time with them and, you know, take lunch breaks with them and, and, you know, do stuff like that. So, although I do think one of the funniest posts I saw recently on Twitter was a guy who was saying, you know, this work from home thing is great. It's really the parenting from work that I have a problem with. (laughs) (laughs) So dead on, like (laughs) when you're like in the middle of something and someone comes in and needs something and you're like, this is my workplace. <laughs> so yeah, that, is, uh, well, that was great. Yeah. That, that encapsulates it quite well. I mean, <laughs> we, we have, uh, our kids are 16 and, and 19. In other words, yeah. young men, and they're a little antsy right now. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. I have a, we have a 14 year old and then a three year old and a one year old. So we've got the whole, the whole spread here. So we've got a whole crew going on. Yeah. Well, with that, thanks for making time. And We've spoken before at our conference, Profile Conference, and we've done a podcast before. For those who are just hearing you for the first time, do you mind doing an introduction and obviously Pymetrics, what it's all about? Sure. No, absolutely. So I'm Frida Pauli. I'm the CEO and founder of Pymetrics. Prior to Pymetrics, I spent 10 years as an academic scientist at Harvard and MIT. My specialty was cognitive neuroscience, which is really just a form of behavioral science. You try to understand people better using you know, the, the latest and greatest techniques. I really liked what I was doing. I am somewhat of an impatient person. So the whole research timeline became a little slow for me, wanted to have more impact, went to business school saw recruiting firsthand for two years because that's what MBA students do and found myself fascinated by this notion that, you know, here we are trying to understand fundamental cognitive, social, and emotional aspects of people. We're trying to match them to the right jobs. We're trying, or ideally we'd like to do this all in a technology enabled way. And I was just struck by the fact that, you know, what was happening in front of me for two years was so analog. It was all coffee chats and focus groups and company presentations, and there was really no technology behind it. And yet in the consumer world, there were dating apps, there was Amazon, there was Netflix, like all these machine learning platforms that were taking behavioral data and matching you with what you wanted. And I was just blown away by the fact that we weren't doing this in the field of work, which is you know such a critical decision that we're making. So that was the genesis of Pymetrics. And you know we've been around now, we've been building the product for, I hate to say this, but seven years. It's been in market now for almost four. It's been a great ride. I mean, I think we've really been able to build something that's quite differentiated and work with some really amazing, I think, forward-thinking clients that really are very aligned in terms of not only making the matching process more accurate, but also making it more fair. Because that was another thing Mm -hmm. that, you know, research has shown this and then my own experience, you know, validated it, which is that 
you know, unfortunately, our human biases lead us to actually select underqualified people who we think fit the stereotype over more qualified people who don't. And I think that that's kind of one of the other main things that the platform allows for is really increasing diversity, not just gender and ethnic diversity, but socioeconomic diversity, age diversity, and all sorts of diversity. Because really, fundamentally, when we continue to pick from a homogeneous pool, we are by definition not choosing the best talent. We are actually just choosing the sort of more sort of cookie cutter talent. And so we really need to think about how we can use these tools to, uh, to expand opportunity for all. Yeah, not sure uh, that's a nutshell, Al, but... No, I think it's outstanding. I've been a fan for quite a while now. Right. And for you not only to have that idea, but to bring it to life and do so in such a virtuous way. So there's a few topics that I want to talk about in there because you have taken a lead role in the responsible and ethical use of AI. So not just, you know, grabbing a bunch of data and assuming that bias don't, doesn't need to be appreciated, that we, you know, have to be conscious of what data that we're collecting and analyzing and so forth. So I'd like to, for a minute back, when you feel appropriate, what I do want to talk about right off the bat is that we have this global health crisis and yep. there are people getting laid off and leaders are anguishing over, you know, what to do. Do I keep these people? What's the risk? When is the economy getting opened up? And you all have taken a lead role in helping organizations and individuals think through this problem of redeployment, you know, in cases of employees getting furloughed. So can you speak to that? Yeah. So, you know, at its core, Pemetrix is a matching engine, right? So we get used for hiring assessment, mobility, and such. But at the end of the day, what we fundamentally do is help people understand themselves better and help companies understand their own talent better and then make the match and say, here are people that look like what you, what you find works best within your company. Generally speaking, we've focused on hiring assessment. We've looked at internal mobility. We have had for a while a product that we call Marketplace, which is essentially connecting people across companies, right? Because a lot of times when you're applying to company A, and this is what I saw at business school, somebody would apply to a bank and then come to find out, you know, they weren't a good fit for that. They were actually a really good fit for marketing. Well, no one was helping them make that connection, but that was sort of the idea behind Pemetrics is let's optimize the match no matter if it's within a company or outside of a company. So we've had this product called Marketplace been sitting around for a while and, you know, it does get used, but it's not sort of front and center. Well, all of a sudden we are experiencing the biggest redeployment of talent basically ever, right? And, you know, right now it's coming primarily in the form of furloughs and people getting laid off and whatnot. However, even within this crisis time, this time of crisis, we do see certain companies that are hiring en masse. I mean, you saw Amazon, you know, and others that are, you know, in industries that are that are growing, really doubling down on their hiring. So we thought to ourselves, why don't we take Marketplace and really open it up as a redeployment platform because it's such a needed thing, right? And and it's it's you know it's it's painful. I mean, you hear personal stories of people that like people that you know well who are you know getting laid off, whose parents are getting laid off, their friends, their family, and there's nothing wrong with them. They were not doing a bad job. It's just that nobody's going to a bar anymore, nobody's going to a hairdresser anymore, nobody's flying airplanes, nobody, you know, and so on. And so, why not help those folks? both in the short and medium long and longer term, understand what else might I be a good fit for and how can I help retrain myself if I need to 
to basically explore other opportunities. So we're partnering with two other platforms. I can't say who they are right now, but basically a platform that looks more at skills and then another platform that looks at sort of educational retraining. And in a short, in a matter of, you know, weeks, not months, we hope to have something that's out in the, in the field, helping people make this new connection with a different form of work because, you know, We'll, we'll see what ends up happening when the crisis is over and who knows what over means really. But I think that, you know, people that have been studying these types of public health crises have a, a feeling that, you know, even when, you know, we're no longer sheltering in place or we're no longer in lockdown, you know, society might not completely just reset to where it was before. We might see some trends that will, that will persist. And, you know, I think some of those trends will then lead to shifts in employment. I don't think unemployment necessarily is going to remain at this record high. I think it's just that people are going to be doing different types of jobs. I mean, we were talking about you and how, you know, PAFOW has, uh, has had to change its business model on a dime. And, you know, you and many others are having to think about, about that. So we're very excited about this redeployment platform. Check in with us in six, six plus weeks and we'll, we'll be able to share more and, and tell you when it's going live. As that rolls out, there's an underlying, and again, if you think differently on this, please <laughs> clarify, that individuals know what they want and where their strengths are. And yep. so yeah, it's like, hey, I, I have an engineering degree, therefore I'm going to be an engineer, where in fact, behaviorally, energetically, they might be better in another role. So can you just speak to the self-work that we need to do and the honest exchange that we need to have with ourselves yeah. and maybe with a yeah. you know, intimate cohort to, okay. to well, focus? I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, look, I think at the end of the day, Pemetrics is in HR words, a soft skill platform, right? We don't look at hard skills. We look at cognitive traits like, you know, memory, attention, planning, and so on. We look at emotional things like how emotionally sensitive are you? How risk-taking are you? And then we look at social attributes like how altruistic are you? And I'm, I'm sort of synthesizing it, right? But at the end of the day, we're a soft skill platform. We know from lots and lots of years of research that soft skills are predictive of your, your job aptitudes. I mean, that's just sort of a basic thing. It's, it's behind a lot of career planning and assessments, right? So we know this for a fact. We also know that if you're a soft skill fit for something, you're going to much more easily acquire the hard skills that that job may or may not require, whereas the inverse is not true. Even if you're a hard skill fit, if you're not a soft skill fit, you're going to kind of, it's like a square peg in a round hole sort of, you know, in perpetuity, right? So that, I mean, look at me, I was an English major in college. I actually like to read, but, and then became a scientist, right? And, you know, now I'm an entrepreneur. So just because I trained in a certain thing doesn't mean I don't have aptitudes to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Other things, right? And especially as we live longer, as our lives are more complex, and as we need to be engaged or want to be engaged with work for a longer period of time, I think it's fundamental to look at soft skills over hard skills, right? And I've thought this pre-crisis because, you know, at the end of the day, like your hard skills are something that can evolve quickly over time. Your soft skills are something that's more sort of inherent about you. It's kind of like the glue, right? The thing that doesn't change as much about you, right? However, they can also mean that you're potential to do many jobs is actually much greater than what your hard skills would say about you, right? Your resume is very limiting. It's like, oh, I've done two or three things in life, but maybe I could actually do 20 or 30, but that's not reflected on my resume. So I think there's so many advantages to looking at soft skills. And again, I thought this pre-COVID, but in COVID, I think it's just exponentially amplified how I think about this because, you know, think about, you know, the travel industry, the airline industry, the hotel industry, the, you know, live events industry, all of those industries, like, 
they may not come back in the form that we we thought of them previously. They may, they may not. And does that mean I wasn't, does that mean that all of a sudden I become irrelevant to society? No, right? It just means that you are now looking at a completely different type of, of society. And what does that mean? What what could you be, what could you be suited for? And I just have this fundamental belief that humans are so flexible and they have so much potential and we really have done them a disservice in focusing primarily on hard skills and sort of educational attainment and all the rest of it when at the end of the day that's just a way to try to summarize what someone's good at but if you have a better way looking at you know soft skill potential i think you know really expedite the notion that you can really tap into so much more of what someone might be good at. So that's sort of where my thinking has always been. And I think that the crisis is only accelerating, you know, my thinking on that. And I think it's critical that we double down on this, you know, for the sake of everyone who is really suffering. I mean, you and I are lucky, you know, yes, I have to work from home. Yes, my Wi-Fi is not good. Yes, I have to parent at work. Um, But those are minor inconveniences when you think about some very serious, serious issues that a lot of people are facing. So. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. And I couldn't agree more. And for years, when I say years, probably for the history of business or hiring, it's been the case where I need somebody with the skills to do act. And then they don't work out. And I go, oh, why did they work out? And fast forward, we've learned a lot why they don't work out. Yet we have not had the systematic measurements in place to understand individuals and really what the, the cultural attributes are that we can nurture and, and amplify. So I have a yep. point of question in this. Is like you know, Microsoft transformed their organization around growth mindset. and yep. Carol Dweck wrote the book, Mindset and New Psychology, says roughly yep. 2008. And obviously, it's based on yet other research. But just holding on to that construct, I have since gone out and asked many organizations, hey, if we need individuals who are going to learn fast, learn appropriately, learn independently, are you assessing for that? Yeah. No. Yep. Are you developing towards that? Right. No. Like, right. Then what are well, we doing? You- it's non-negotiable. We need that. I also think like I actually have a bit of a bone to pick with this whole notion of learning agility because people again and you know God bless management consultants my dad was a management consultant so you know God bless them but they've kind of trained everyone that we're all looking for people with learning agility what are I mean, I'm not going to curse on the show, but what does that mean, really? And (laughs) like, maybe I'll maybe I will later. But the point is, like, I can be very learning agile if I'm actually suited to what I'm learning. Right. There are many things that I might want to learn, like to learn and will learn. There are other things that I would really not be interested in learning. And so, therefore, I think learning agility is not this unitary construct that we're just going to measure in someone. It's it's really very dependent on what we're trying to have somebody learn. And there are many, I would, I would make a terrible lawyer. I would make a terrible bunch of things. I would not be very learning agile if you were to put me in a, you know, legal training program. But I've also obviously, you know, I've gone from being, you know, an English major to a neuroscientist or an entrepreneur and who knows what I'll do next, right? So I think it's all about finding people's fit and pointing them in that direction. And then I think many, many more people have that learning agility that we're all looking for. So... And just to take off what you're obviously, if 
and correct me if I'm wrong, you are passionate and you are focused. So if I'm looking for attributes in somebody who's going to get stuff done, those are some of the attributes that I want. You know, I want them to learn. I want them to be creative. I want them to be kind all these things. But, you know, how then do we interview for that? So I'll be the first one to cuss. So many hiring managers and recruiters have a cover your ass approach. It's like, okay, you know, they worked at Google, therefore they'll work out. So again, can you speak to some of these other attributes that, you know, what you believe are... Yeah. So the, the idea behind Pymetrics was a soft skill platform. So I was at Harvard Business School watching all these very smart people trying to figure out, okay, I just did this for a number of years. Now I want to do something else. How, how am I going to figure out what I should do? And then all these recruiters who are just like, you know, kid, kids in a candy store. Oh, there's all these Harvard students. Which one should I hire? Right. But even in that context, it really was obvious that it wasn't working well. Like, you know, friends were getting matched to things that then they were miserable in after three days. And again, they're all Harvard students. We do not have to feel bad for them. My only point is that even in this, you know, target rich environment, it was not working well. And the reason was because it's very hard from a resume to understand is somebody altruistic or not? Is somebody, does somebody have attention to detail or not? Does somebody have good working memory or not? Like all of these things are extremely hard, if not frankly, impossible to derive from a piece of paper that has a list of activities that I've done, right? And so people try to use proxies. They're like, oh, you played a sport? You must be a team player. Like, it's like all these like really dumb, like, you know, heuristics that we use. So that's what we tried to build. We interviewed a lot of people in the hiring space. We said, what is it that you're trying to try figure out from a resume from an interview that you're not getting? And that was the soft skill library that we created. We measure, you know, over eight different things and you know that library really wasn't was constructed after many many interviews with hr professionals who told us what they're looking to measure and we've expanded on that as we've grown as a company we now have an interview analytics platform we have a you know numerical and logical reasoning platform and we continue to expand the library but the whole point is that if you directly try to measure these things through looking at people's behavior it is far more accurate and will work a lot better than what we do now, which is you know basically educated guessing off of resumes and even interviews. I think can have some some challenges as well. So does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And just to pick up on it more, and I'm going to reference uh, a Harvard professor who I'm sure you're familiar with, Stephen Pinker, who wrote a book among many books, The Blank Slate, which was very interesting to me. I'm adopted, so I have a very is it existential? Is it, is it my environment? Did I come in with certain predispositions? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful to read his works and listen to him because effectively it's an 800-page essay about Western society's ignorance of human nature. We have certain predispositions, and they're not to be criticized and put in a box, but it's for us to honor and celebrate. And I don't see that happening in recruiting or development. We're trying to square pegs and round holes, trying to say you can be anything you want, just work hard enough. But right. we understand that we do have certain boundaries. What's your reply to that? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that like, unfortunately, so think about the way dating has evolved, right? 
I think maybe 50 years ago, you were told, let's take women. Women were told, be this, this, and this, and you'll find your perfect husband, right? So it was a very cookie cutter. Everyone should fit into this mold. You should all be, I don't know, cook well and look pretty or whatever it was, and you'll find your perfect mate, right? Now, fast forward to 2020, everybody's like, just be yourself. You're going to find your right person. And you could be the you know most sort of like, you know, warts and all version of yourself. The whole notion is come as yourself. You're going to find the right fit. So we've really thrown out out this idea that everybody has to cook well and be pretty if you're a female, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Just laughing because that sounds so bad. Anyway, so, <laughs> but that's what we're doing at work. We're basically telling everyone cook well and be pretty, right? We're basically saying like, be smart, be nice, be hardworking. I mean, you know, maybe there's lots of jobs where being nice actually isn't a, an asset. Like if you're, I don't know, a security guard, a bouncer, a co- I don't know, there are other, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like we, we keep banging into people's heads that there's only one right way to be a productive worker. You have to have learning agility. Now you have to be smart. Like, you know, you, and, and I just fundamentally think that's a, a terrible message be untrue because there are so many jobs in the world and there are so many people in the world. It cannot be possible that there's like one or two or three ways that you can be successful. There's millions of ways you can be successful. And so I think we have to take a much more warts and all approach to work. It's like, you know, and that's what Pymetrics does. We don't have, it's a fit-based system. Everything we measure is, can be very adaptive given the role. So we have this measure of attention. Some people are somewhat inattentive and biased to action. That's me, by the way. And some people are super attentive and very methodical, right? If you're an accountant, guess what? You want to be on the methodical, biased to, you know, detail end of the spectrum. And if you actually need to be creative, you probably are going to be more on my end of the spectrum, right? And again, and we measure 80 of these things. And the point is you can be fine on either end or in the middle or it doesn't matter, but it's all about matching you to the right role. So I do think we have to completely throw out this notion that there's one right way to be. And it's very constrictive and it leads to a lot of discrimination too, because think about people that are neurodiverse, whether you have, you know, any kind of difference, brain difference, right? Anything from, you know, dyslexia to, you know, depression to anything, you're not going to fit the mold of whatever people thought, you know, and and again, you know, again, people, some people are not going to like me saying this, but I think there are models of what makes for a good employee are also very dated. They're dated back to like 1970s, 1950s science, where, you know, everyone had to be, you know, extroverted and, you know, lacking in eroticism. Well, that's just not true, right? And I think these models are not only constrictive, right, where everyone's trying to conform to this one way of being, but they're also exclusionary. And they exclude a lot of really gifted, talented people who just happen not to look like the norm, whatever that is. And and that I find even more frustrating because we know that, you know, dyslexics tend to be overrepresented in entrepreneurs, people that are on the Asperger spectrum. There's lots of things they can be good at, you know, and so on and so forth. Right. And we need to embrace neurodiversity rather than, you know, thinking of it as a as a flaw that we have to somehow fix. I just I just think that the whole field of person assessment needs a massive reset and it needs to be sort of upgraded for 2020, you know, and beyond. And what I'm hearing in what you're saying, and it's been almost cliche over the past 10 or so years that we want to create a culture where someone can bring their whole self to yeah, work. Totally. And it's been kind of a saying, but re- in reality, it's been self fit in that box. So when you say it's like, no, we actually have to honor that diversity yes. of ways of being and ways yes. of thinking totally. and separate it, not try and you know 
have it be conformed, you know, obviously within certain parameters, because you don't want, you know, yeah. someone down the hall, you know, smoking and kicking people. <laughs> of course. Right, of course. But I mean, but I mean, I think that it's still reflected in so much of what we read and hear about when it comes to recruiting, for example, right? Like, I mean, there are these really, in my opinion, offensive pieces out there that are telling people of color how to whiten your resume. I mean, I would be, if like, I'm obviously white, but if I were not, I would be incensed that somebody was recommending that. Like, that's just like, that's wrong, right? And again, I mean, that's, I think, one of the, you know, worst examples I've seen out there. But there's plenty of things that are basically, the message is, be homogenous, fit the mold, don't be yourself. And again, then you've got to wonder why everyone is unhappy at work, right? Like, well, you're unhappy because A, you're not matching to the right thing, and B, you're not being allowed to be, you know, your true self. And I think that I just think that's a that's very unfortunate and leads to all sorts of all sorts of issues. You know what I mean? And I think that we should embrace diversity, do lots of things in a more modern way. I think so. So, given all that, yeah, I want to go back to what we parked earlier because yep. the responsible use of AI, ethical yep. use of AI, is historically we've just been pushing out data. We are yep. going to analyze that data. We're going to apply machine learning and now we have an AI engine and everything's yep. going to be great. Yep. But that has not been attentive to the data that we're putting in in the first For place. Sure. So I'm hearing sure. what you're saying For is that we have to be very mindful and that's what you have been doing. You've been saying, yep. okay, we're really conscious because we're not, we're going to minimize bias because correct me if I'm wrong, yep. to move bias entirely, particularly over time, is almost yep. an impossible task. It has to be managed. Yeah. You, you know, what ethical AI looks like to you? Sure. Well, I think I, I want to answer the ethical AI question in like two different ways, you know, so I think that, you know, so there are two different things specifically or three maybe, but let, let's just go in order. So the first thing that I think is super important that people underemphasize is again, the model that you have for your tool. And what I mean by that is that you can use whatever machine learning system you want in the world. But if your model is that these three things are what I need to be looking for in my in my data, meaning smart, you know, hardworking and whatever the other one is, and that those are the only things I'm looking for, you're by definition, creating a system that's exclusionary. Do you know what I mean? So it's not a fit-based system. It's not like, oh, people are different everywhere and I'm going to match everyone to the different things. It's like, no, I'm assuming that only these these three things are correct. And this isn't about machine learning. This is just about the, the behavioral science behind assessing people. Does that make sense? So that's problem number one. It's just, and that is becomes very exclusionary again, like we talked about. Then the second part is, the actual machine learning algorithms you're building on top of that data, right? And so again, maybe you have a more flexible model in terms of what you're looking for for your you know, good employee, but there's some demographic associations, right? So I'm flexible in what I'm looking for, but my training set tends to be overly Caucasian. And so therefore I'm picking up on stuff that doesn't relate to the job. It just relates to the fact that right now I've employed more Caucasians than not. And now I'm just going to continue to hire more Caucasians because my data models are essentially biased towards a particular demographic graphic, right? So it's really two different things. One is like the assumption you make about what makes for a good employee that has nothing to do with the machine learning model. It's just saying some models are not fit-based, you know, like an IQ model. There are lots of companies and lots of people that still believe that cognitive testing, IQ testing is like 
the way to go and that, you know, smart people make good employees everywhere. And again, I mean, I don't buy that. There are a lot of people that, that think that that's still accurate. If you have that model, you are going to, by definition, be excluding people that don't fit your threshold of whatever IQ or cognitive testing you're using. So that's the, what you want to, you know, what you think a good employee looks like. And then there's the data modeling, which then adds additional challenges around if you're not creating it in an ethical way, that's looking for different types of bias, whether it's gender, ethnicity, age, you know, neurodiversity, and so on, you then run the risk of, it's a separate problem that I was talking about before, but it's related because again, you're, you're excluding people unnecessarily from, from the workforce. And so where I want to take us now, as we start to wrap up here, obviously we have COVID-19 and yep. you're in New York, so you're, you're in the mix. And yep. my question to you is, what do you hope happens in the wake of this? You talked about redeployment that you're doing, but yep. what do you see happening? What, what do you want to happen? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think, look, have you seen the meme that's going around where it's like, who spearheaded your digital transformation? And it's like CTO, CEO, or COVID-19. And, you know, I think that we, we are seeing that. We, we are definitely seeing that digital everything is being accelerated, right? And of course, part of that is also AI machine learning. I think that that really just brings to a head certain things that were already happening, right? Like people were starting to embrace these tools, but there was concern around bias. There was concern around homogeneity and so on and so forth, right? So I, I think we're kind of at a crossroads. I think we can either double down and say, no, this is you know not where we want to go. We don't want to just use these tools to continue the old ways of doing things and you know make the workforce homogenous, blah, blah, blah. And or we can just, you know, not care so much about the type of AI we're building and say, yeah, if it has bias, you know, I've got more important issues to deal with. I've got all these people that are out of work. I don't care. Right. And I think it really behooves us to do the former. I might start parenting at work any minute now because I hear a child coming downstairs. But hi, cutie pie. (laughs) So you might see someone in the background now. But anyways, the point is that I think we really have a choice to make, which is we want to build safeguards around digital processes, AI-driven processes, so that, you know, the current situation that we're in now where, you know, we have a workforce that's too white, that's too male, that's too, you know, sort of neuro-stereotypical, we want to be able to use these tools to actually blow that blow that out of the water. Like, I don't think we want to go back to some of the problems that we had pre-COVID. We have an ability to totally redesign the system. Like, let's grab that opportunity. Let's not just say, oh, well, we've got, you know, it's too, too challenging to think about diversity now that we have to deal with COVID. No, now is the time. You know what I mean? We have the perfect opportunity to start thinking about these things. Because, you know, as I was telling you before the show started, Al, there's this notion that diversity is this like sort of irrelevant or sort of, you know, thing that doesn't really matter that much. It is critical to tapping into the potential of our entire society. It is not this side thing that should be done on the side. You know, it is absolutely critical to realizing the entire potential of our society. And we are absolutely sort of, you know, like plateauing if we don't do that. I am 100% convinced of that. I think if we had a more diverse set of people that were making decisions in general, we might have avoided some of the, uh, you know, challenges we've had with this crisis, right? So I'll leave it at that without getting too political. But I really think it's redesign things in a way that will be not only more inclusive, but honestly, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Uh, that will be much more inclusive in general. So 
That is cute right there. I've seen cute before. That, that, that's cute. And she just came magically appeared too. That was outstanding. <laughs> Out of the background. I know I have children that just magically appear. <laughs> well, Frida, it is always a pleasure to listen to you, learn from you. And again, you know, I applaud what you and Pymetrics are, are doing there. I think I'm hearing that it honors the individual. It helps them set themselves up for success. It helps organizations do that at scale. So I wish you the very best, you know, professionally and there personally. And, and parenting at work. Yeah, parenting at work. <laughs> it seems like you're doing outstanding. So yeah, all the best. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Al. You too. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.